Good morning. Jason had uh, shared about the doing the evangelism outside in our communities on Saturday. We usually start about noon because we have men's group and then afterwards we do some cleanup. And uh, the way we are going to do it is every other week we'll be here in Evansville. The next week we'll be in Henderson. Next week we'll be in Henderson. Syra leads that up. And I promise you, if you feel like I would like to see what that looks like, but I'm not comfortable, he will not throw you to the wolves. He will show you what to do. He'll do the talking if you're with him. If you're with me, I'll do the talking at first. We'll show you how to do it. We would never put anybody out there and say, all right, go wing it, right? And the beauty of reaching out to people like that is you really don't know what you're going to say until you get there anyway because you don't know who you're going to encounter, right? All right, so we're going to get into the Word, and I would like to... I was so excited for the message today, and then... As I was up here praying, I feel like God just changed that word, so I'm not as excited anymore, but it, uh, it's been a long time since this has happened to me, but we're going to be in John 4, and uh, as I was in the middle of worship, like I was going to follow up Pastor Chad's message from last week, and we, uh, Chad and I had talked about it, and it seemed like the right direction, but as I'm worshiping, I'm seeing the faces here, and... Uh, well, there's just a whole different word God wants to speak today, I believe. So uh, I'm going to pray as we turn to John 4, and uh, we're just going to ask God to be in this word, and uh, we'll find out together what He has to say to us. So, Father God, uh, I thank You for who You are, Lord. Thank You for how much You love us, Lord. Thank You for for bringing us here, God. Thank You for when You call an audible that I don't want to do, Lord. And uh, I pray that You would just speak through me today, God, that Your words would come out and I would just get out of Your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, great thing about this is I have to use my regular Bible and my eyes aren't as good as I would say as they used to be, but they've never been good. So it'll be very interesting. We'll get through this together. But... um as I was praying, I see this this whole... This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible is a Samaritan woman. And sometimes we we read this story and we pass through it as just this really good thing that Jesus went and ministered to this lady. But there's a lot to this. The Samaritans... Uh, I'm going to wing this off of the top of my head, so I'm not going to be real in detail with it. I don't have a photographic memory like Pastor Chad, but the Samaritans were a people who were... Uh, taken captives years before. And when they were taken captives year before, years before, the, uh, the best people, the elite, the smarter people, the higher class people were all taken as servants. And they left like the lower class people behind because, well, they just didn't make the cut. And that's where you have these Samaritans. They, they always felt like they were just a lesser people. And these people are living in this nation. They have uh, foreign gods. They're trying to... They, they built their own temple to to our, our God, the, the God of the Jews, but He wasn't... They didn't worship Him as the God of the Jews necessarily. They were worshiping in their own ways. So the Samaritans were a people who really lacked an identity. They lacked confidence. And they were just all over the place. They... You know, as we see today, we have a society that, you know, whatever is trendy is what everybody's following, right? And then once that's not trendy, they follow the next trendy thing, and then they follow the next trendy thing. We see that even in churches, that churches are getting trendy, right? And we see, you know, I've shared before is there's something like uh, 49%, like actually it's lower, and I think it's 47% of the pastors in America have a biblical worldview, that tells us the rest are floating all over the place. Their minds aren't 100% in this. And uh, so that's kind of where the Samaritans were. The Samaritans would have looked a lot like what our America would look like, but without the Jews being there, without the Christians being there, right? So uh, so that's where we're at with this, uh, where Jesus is at. And it says in verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. And I like that part because that puts ownership on us, right? Jesus does a lot of work and he does so much stuff, but he uses us to be his hands and feet. 
And he's showing that in that part there is talking about how the actual, the, the, the baptism, the, the physical stuff, the hands-on stuff, they were doing it. You know, they were part of that work and we get to be a part of that work. He left Judea and, and departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, this is uh, put here for a reason of him passing through Samaria because Jews would not go into Samaria. First off, it was a dangerous place. Plus, they also thought that Samaria was the least of these. It was a place that Jews did not want to be a part of. They, uh, it'd be kind of like us going into the worst part of New York City, and we would say, like, I don't want to be there. And they, they thought that. They would go wait. Like, it was the quickest way to get where he was going. But Jews would have never took that way. They would have went all the way around and bypassed Samaria. And uh, I think sometimes we feel like, we feel a little bit like the lady that's going to be in this story. We feel like everybody just kind of bypasses us and we, we don't have a lot to offer. Maybe we're the lowest we feel like at times or maybe maybe we just don't have it all figured out. And that's what this story is going to be about is people like that. And... uh says, so he came to a town of Samaria. Actually, I bypassed one. But he left Judea, departed again for Galilee, and he left to pass, uh, and had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting Beside the well, it was about the the sixth hour. So uh, when you see this city, you see that this is actually a place that Abraham would have came into early on. This is a place that his family would have settled in. So it has Jewish roots. It has Jewish roots, but after the captivity, it was considered like a desolate place. It was considered the less of the the, the least of these, right? Like even your even your Jews who would have been. Uh, well, shepherds and such that were considered low Sumerians were even worse. You stayed away from them. And even like whenever you see uh, the Good Samaritan story and Jesus is telling about the Good Samaritan and how, you know, who was the neighbor and they say they have to admit that it was the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was still somebody who would have been worshiping false gods. He would have been worshiping in a way that wasn't pleasing to God, right? And so we have to understand these people we're not your ideal people by Jewish standards, by what, what the people of that time would have seen. Now, Jesus looks past all that, right? So we have to remember that. Okay. A woman from Samaria came to the, to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now, there's a couple problems here. First off, a Jew would never talk to a Samaritan. She's shocked. But I will say in a minute we'll see this lady knows a little bit more about Jewish custom than I would have thought. But So she goes to Jesus and asks, or he goes to her and asks for a drink. He should never be talking to a Samaritan the secondly, a rabbi would have never talked to a woman in public. Would have never happened. They wouldn't even talk to their own wives in public. They wouldn't talk to their daughters in public. And here's Jesus Christ saying, hey, why don't you give me a drink? Would have never happened. Uh, by any other Jewish leader, it would have never happened. And, and even to the point... Uh, if you ever study these kind of things, like the Pharisees in that time period, when a woman would walk by, they always called them the, uh, I think they called them the battered Pharisees, because whenever a woman would walk by, they would close their eyes and walk by, and they would run right into walls and things like that, because they were real intelligent, you know, so they would, just because they were so holier than now, they couldn't even look at a woman when they walked by. So, it, uh, that's what kind of society we're dealing with here, right? It's not a, like we look at it as just like they were different people or the Jews looked at them different, but they've got treated worse than any of us have ever been treated, more than likely. Let's see, here we are. It says for in parentheses there's for 
Jews have no uh, dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now this is a shocker because uh, there's all kinds of prophecies in the Samaritan uh, religion and their, and their kind of... Uh, fake Jewish followings. So their, their counterpart to the Jewish Messiah was, a, I think the name was Tabar. I can't remember the actual name of what their Messiah was called. Whenever he was to come, it said that they're out of his back, out of his bucket, waters would flow. So when he says this, it's actually something that triggers in her head that, wait a minute, I've heard this before, right? So she kind of understood something about living water. And then it goes on and it says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? I would question the same thing. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And like if you study this, uh, theologians... None of them will tell you she was being condescending. And none of them will tell you that she was truly asking. Nobody knows if she was, what her intent was here. But I honestly think when she hears that, that thought, living water, she's asking a sincere question. Are you greater than my father Jacob? Are you, are you somebody different? Like, this is a woman who's been through a lot and she wants to know, are you the real deal? What's going on here, right? Because we know whenever he spoke with Jews, they understood an authority that they'd never seen before. So I can't imagine what she sees whenever she sees somebody who's Jewish and following God and she sees the true authority of God walk up into her, into her presence. I imagine it's overwhelming. You know, we've all walked into the presence of God from somewhere we shouldn't have been or where it felt bad and like, and you walk into that presence of God, you know that you're in the presence of God. You know something changed. You know something's real. And I think that's where she's at here. He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up for eternal life. And that that's a whole different ballgame from what she's used to, but it also lines up with what she's heard about the Messiah. This may be that guy. This may be the one who gives a living water, right? And But how many of us know whenever you you first heard about the gospel you thought everything was going to be fixed you thought like i'm going to follow this and everything's going to be real so her mindset still is of all all you know whenever you come to follow jesus is what you already know right you're 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 trying to contemplate by what you've seen uh psychologists say you can never figure out anything that you've never seen before so like whenever people are creative they're only creative by taking things they've seen before and adapting it to to their creativities Right. So when he speaks of this, it's really hard to understand because nobody's ever seen it. It'd be really hard to explain now because, well, I've never actually seen water living. The water that I would give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And she's asking for fleshly provision. And I think we do that often. We come to Jesus and we say, Lord, I have this need. Lord, I know you're the provider. And we say, God, provide. Right? We have a lot of people in this congregation who are going through stuff all the time. All the time. And we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, take care of this. Take care of this. And the Lord said, hey, Hold on a minute. I'm the living water, but hold on a minute, right? So here's a lady looking for all of her provisions. And I will tell you, I'll give you a background story of the women at the well. Some of us know a little bit about what happens at this well, but 
In this time period, a woman would have drew water either in the, in the morning or in the evening. This says it was six o'clock or the sixth hour of the day, which tells us it's noon. Their day started at 6 a.m. So it was the sixth hour, noon, hottest part of the day in the desert, and this woman's coming out by herself. You would never have traveled as a woman by yourself unless there's a reason. And so in the mornings, all the women would come out. And how many of you guys know that whenever young women come out to a place, young men are usually there also? You know what I mean? They're, that's where you find, that's where you meet, right? That's the watering hole. That's where you go and you meet women. And so young women would come out in that time period. Young men would come out to see them. Hey, I like that one, right? So it was actually a social place. It was not a place that you just went and got water and came back. They would go together. They would get water. Uh, it was always the younger women usually because that's just the way it was. The young women would serve the older women. The older women would teach the young women. Same thing with the men in that time period. And so this is at noon, and there's a guy approaching her at a well at noon. Normally, that would mean something bad. Normally, there would be like, It'd be, let's just say it would be, uh, unholy interactions usually at that, at that time period. So she's on guard. There's something different. So if this guy could really provide her with living water and she never had to go back to that well, it'd probably make her life amazing. It'd probably get rid of a lot of anxiety. It would probably, if, if God would just take away her having to be around anybody else, her having to suffer, it would make her life so good. And I think we get to that point. Sometimes we just want God to take away what we're going through. Right? We seek the Lord to get us out of this spot. And she's seeking the Lord to say, hey, give me that water and I'll never have to come back here again. Hey, I I, I get it. I'm with her. I would say the same thing. Jesus said to her, now this is what Jesus does whenever we we have a plan he counteracts our plan with his own plan, right? So he says, go, call your husband and and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you are, you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So here's a woman who's had quite the life. And I will always, every time I ever teach from this, you always hear people say like she was a loose woman. We don't know that. We have no idea why she has five husbands. Every last one of those husbands could have died. We don't know. We don't know her circumstances. She could have had the roughest life ever. She could have been a woman who was really loose. We don't know her circumstances. I think it doesn't tell us her circumstances, so we don't try to say, well, I never had that problem, right? So when people teach this, like here's a lady who was getting around, I don't know. She could just be really broken. We don't know her situation. I don't know your situation. So put yourself in her situation and you think, like, I've been through some rough stuff. Right? Even if the woman was loose and getting around with all these different guys, having all these issues, don't you know there's something deeper there than just the fact that she had five husbands? Right? There's a whole lot going on if you have five husbands. Either death, abuse, uh, horrible people, something's happened that this keeps happening to you. Right? She's in a bad spot. And she's staying with a man who Maybe treating her well, maybe treating her bad. I don't know. I'd imagine her faith in people is pretty low. And I imagine her life is not going very well. You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have... Or, no, further down. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain... But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And I would say she's probably been perceiving, trying to figure out how to get out of her situation, 
I think she wants to worship the God of, of the Jews. I think she has at this moment to realize that, hey, we can't be where you're at. This is the best as we have, and you guys say it's wrong. Right? Which I don't know how you get that out of, out of the husband thing, but Jesus realized there was more going on here than water. He knew there was more going on here than just a husband. So sometimes he has to ask questions and get you in the right place you're going. Like you may be like, hey, God, I need help with this. And God's like, what about this? And you're like, that has nothing to do with this. Right? But he's trying to get to the root of what's going on here. He asked about husbands, and her next thought is, is, well, who can I worship? I see you're a prophet, but where do I go? Who do I turn to? Who's going to help me? Right? And I like that part of it because sometimes we can get so far in ourselves that we think, who can help us? Right? The people at the church, they act this way, but, but I'm told you're a God who loves me. Right? When Sire and I are knocking on doors, we quickly find people who have been so hurt by the church that they want nothing to do with God. Right? So she's been going to a, a temple that God's not at. She's been worshiping a God who's not real. And I believe the problem we have in our society is people have worshiped a God who's not real. They've been hurt by the church and they blame God for it. Right? Their God has been the church. And I think a lot of times people in church are the same way. We go to church and we worship at the church and we think we're going to be okay. But that's not who Jesus is talking about here. He's not even talking about the church. He wasn't even talking about the temple. She brought it up, right? I can go talk to people and they'll say, yeah, I'm a believer, and then they want to walk away. But they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to get to the roots of things. And and I think because of the representation of Christians over the years, there's a false understanding of who the true God is. Who is the living water? What is going on? You know, I've worshipped in there, and there, and that God wasn't for me. You know what? In a lot of places, the God they're worshiping isn't for me either. A whole lot of places. If you have only 47% of pastors who have a biblical worldview, that means 53% of the pastors in America, their God is not for me. Right? And, and we have to remember that. Like, we're going to come into contact, and sometimes we're going to come into contact with people who have been hurt by a false God, they're going to be hurt by the Samaritan temple, right? They're going to be, they've went to somewhere where the God of, of Israel's not there, where our God isn't there, where Christ isn't there. And then there's sometimes with us, ourselves, where we're hurting and we don't know where to turn. We've seen some really bad things. We've been through a whole lot. And what I see at church is not helping me, right? We're going to get to that point. And that's where she's at. She's seen a lot. This lady, uh, a lot more than I ever have. All right. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. So, if you're that woman... <laughs> This probably made your day a little bit worse. Like, you worship something you don't know. We worship what we know. Because salvation's from the Jews. So in her mindset, she's like, okay, I have no hope again. Right? I have no hope. And so sometimes we try to tell people how they should live and, and what should go on and, and all that. And we tell people, well, the God that you've heard of and all this other stuff, you have no... They, that's not even who you should be worshiping. Only the Christian God's going to get there, and then we leave it at that, right? Or we try to share the gospel with somebody, and we never share the hope that they have in Christ, right? Her problem is she has no hope. A lot of you guys, your problem is you have no hope. You're hopeless. You made it to a point to where you believe in God, but your hope's not in God. You don't know the God of the Jews. You don't, you, you're not able to make it to that place to worship on the temple, right? In the temple. You're stuck worshiping in a place to where, where you just don't feel like it's right. 
And for whatever reason, you know different and you know there's living water. You know there's somebody different. You know there's this person speaking to you. You just can't get to where you need to be. It's like, I, I know I'm saved, but I, I just don't feel like I'm at that place. Right? Goes on and says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit. And it, uh, I imagine that was very freeing to the woman because she can't make it to the Jewish temple. She can't go around people without feeling wrong. I don't even know if she was making it to the Samaritan temple because she probably would have felt like she wasn't even worthy for that. Now God's saying, you can worship me wherever you're at. He said, wherever you're at, wherever I'm at, you can worship me. God is in spirit. You need to worship me in spirit and in truth. That's saying your whole life should be devoted into worshiping me. It has nothing to do with temples anymore, right? That is a message that our society needs to hear. That is a message we need to hear. It doesn't matter the church building, right? We come to church to be fed. We come to church to get some of that living water, right, to help us. But we should be everything. Our relationship with Jesus should not be based on a building. It should not be based on a temple. It should not be based on where we go and worship. It should be based on who Jesus Christ is. Your life should be based on who Jesus Christ is. Everything you do should be based on who Jesus Christ is. The truth. Okay, let's say... I'm at a church or somewhere with church people and they tell me something that doesn't line up with the Bible. That's okay. I worship what's in the Bible. I find my truth in what is in Scripture, right? She found her her truth in the fact that she was broken. She's part of a people who were lower class. She was part of the people that the Jews didn't want. She had five husbands. So whatever the circumstances that led to five husbands, that was her truth. She had to go draw water when nobody else was around because she didn't want to feel shame. She had no hope. That was her truth. And in a society where everybody says, that's my truth. That's my truth. There's no truth in my truth. There's only one truth and she needed to know it. There comes a point in time where we will worship in truth. That's what Jesus said. The truth is not your circumstances. The truth is not what you've went through. The truth is not in... in what society has told you you are. That is not your truth. The truth is what Jesus says. The truth is Jesus said, I will give you living water. The truth is Jesus said, I will die for you and you are saved. The truth is he said, I'm going to be resurrected and because you're saved, you're going to go with me. Right? The truth is he actually said he would provide every one of your needs. That's the truth. Now, will you provide all your wants? Nope. He sure won't. Will He take away your circumstances? Nope, He sure won't. He will let you go right into your same circumstances, right? Legion. Whenever Jesus came to Legion, and you want to talk an identity crisis. In our, in our society, you identify now however you want to identify, right? This is what I identify as. You cannot, you cannot call me different, you know? Now you got that little... I, I'm even surprised now that kids are identifying as animals and people think it's okay. Now, mind you, don't get too wrapped up in that. A lot of that's lies about what you hear, but there are kids that are allowing to identify as an animal. And we look at it and we're like, this is something we've never seen, but Jesus saw it way back in the time period whenever he goes and he sees Legion. And a Legion doesn't identify as a man, he identifies as we. His pronoun was we. That's a whole different concept, right? We, we look at it now and we see people who have a different pronoun and we're weirded out by it. Jesus wasn't weirded out by it. He went right to the man. And he spoke to the man and he healed the man. And then the man said, hey, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, no, you stay here and minister. And I know I shared this in men's group a few weeks ago, but you know what happened whenever that man stayed there and ministered? After he was healed and he was whatever his name was, we never know his real name. We only know that he identified as thousands of people or, or demons. He identified as we and us. 
And when he was healed, he was one man. And the next time Jesus went back there, the people came running to him. They ran him out of town when he did it. And when he came back, they came running to him. Because the one man was set free and he found his real truth of who he was. He found the truth. The truth isn't your you're a circumstance. Your truth is you're, you're not everything you're going through. You're not all the labels that have been put upon you. You're not those things. The truth is you've been set free. The truth is you belong to Jesus Christ and the truth is living water wells up in you. We have to walk in the truths of the Bible. If we don't walk in the truths of the Bible, we're letting the, the, the world steal from us. We're letting the world lie to us. And that's where this lady was at. All right, I'm going to move on because I don't want to be here forever. Uh, God of Spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. I am He. Do you know this Samaritan woman was the first person He professed that to? Do you know the longest recorded conversation in Scripture is Jesus with this Samaritan woman? I think this is a pretty important Scripture. So the reason why it's one of my favorite places to read at is because Jesus saw it important enough for her to be the first that He tells publicly... And he thought it was important enough that he recorded more of this than he did any other conversation. Right? Not Nicodemus, not with Peter, not with when he comes and blinds Paul. None of those other people. This woman gets more time spent with Jesus in Scripture than anybody because it's a very important Scripture. This is a great Scripture for all of the Gentiles. And just so you know, Jews actually hated... Samaritans even more than they hated Gentiles. So she still got even higher up than the Gentiles. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you t- talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I have ever done. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town, out of, out of the town, and were coming to him. And the Jews would have been baffled. Here's their leader, their rabbi, their Messiah, talking to a woman, which was not allowed, talking to a Samaritan, which would have been even worse. Yet they also understood something was going on, and they never questioned. Because I can't imagine what happens when a whole crowd of people come out to her. But this woman, I'm always careful to say this when I read this, but if you've been set free of a life with no hope, and you've been set free of of condemnation, you've been set free of this great burden on your life, the first thing you should want to do is go tell everybody what just happened. And one of my favorite things about this, and I, I can tell, I'm not going to tell a story that lines up so well with this because, well, it'd be online and I don't want that. But it, uh, Jesus only told her she had five husbands and lives with a man that isn't her husband. And then he talked about worshiping. Yet the Holy Spirit convicted her enough that she thought he told him everything. This man just told me everything about my whole life. All he told you about was your five wives, or husbands. But when Jesus start speaking, and the Holy Spirit hits us. It convicts us of everything in our lives. We hear everything. And we've had this recently in an outreach thing we were a part of where a young man comes up. The guy speaking never spoke a word to him, but he's speaking about Paul, and this young man comes up, and he said, how did that guy know everything about me? Right? How did he speak everything to me? And we're like, the guy never spoke to you. But he heard everything because the Holy Spirit was moving. Right? It's always very interesting. If you're ever wondering how to share your testimony, if you're ever wondering what you can do, if you could ever wonder 
Like, what do I have to tell people? What did this woman have to tell people? Come meet the person who changed my life? Come meet the person who knew everything about me and still loved me? Like, this woman had to be on cloud nine. She had to understand, like, first off, she just met the Messiah. But secondly, nobody in in society wanted anything to do with her. She was a cast-off. She was the lowest of the low. She was not only the lowest of the low, she was the lowest of the people who were the lowest of the low. So, like, I don't know what you call that, but it's pretty low. And that's what she felt. And then here comes the Messiah and speaks to her whenever men don't speak to women in public, Jews don't, and whenever rabbis surely don't, won't even talk to their wives or their daughters in public, and the Pharisees are even worse. So he's he is a man of great authority, and he took time to come talk to her. We are people who've been through a lot. I don't know about you, but if I put down a big long laundry list of everything I've ever done wrong, and how messed up I am. And I start sharing that and tell you how much Jesus has forgiven me. We can be here for a long time. Right? But we don't do that. We don't go tell people, look, I was, I was in this situation. I was so messed up. But when I knew Jesus, everything changed. I used to have no hope. I used to think I had to do everything on my own. I used to have to do this or whatever the circumstance. But the moment I met Jesus, it all changed. That's where she's at. She said, I met this man. He just changed my whole entire life. He wrecked me. And she went right to the people and told them that. The people she didn't even want to be around. That she was scared of. Can you imagine the testimony that is? They didn't say, oh, wait a minute. We know you. You're that woman of ill repute. No, they said, hey, something's different here. Let's go see what she's talking about. And that's usually what's going to happen if you go out and you tell people what, how God's changed you, how He spoke to you, and you start giving that reason for your hope. People will listen. They will listen quickly. And maybe you think, well, I've always been in church. I've never been married five times. I never had a good addiction. I never had one of those wonderful testimonies that other people get to have because my life was a little simpler. Praise the Lord. I uh, I always liked Tim Hawkins. He always said, you know, as Christians, we can get to the point to where we somebody gets up and they share a great testimony. Like, I was addicted, I was living in the gutter, and then God delivered me, and I'm, I'm broke of it. And then we're sitting there like, oh, man, I wish I had that testimony. I wish I was addicted to crack, you know. No. But we do that. We think our te- We make less of our testimony because it wasn't like that. But how much better of a testimony can you have when you say, you know what, I've been following Jesus and He's kept me from addiction. He's kept me from all the the struggles of the world. Do I have problems? I do. But whenever problems come in, I just trust Jesus. He gets me right through it. How much better? You know, I didn't have to go to rock bottom. But if you did go to rock bottom, what a wonderful testimony also. Right? But, But we all have a testimony people need to hear. We all have something they need to hear. And and I will tell you something that, that a lot of us, especially as Christians, we get to a point to where we don't think God has a purpose for us or we think God can't use us or we think, like, I think often we get so far stuck in ourselves that we question if we're even saved. We get so far into ourselves, we think God can never use us. We get so far in ourselves that we think, oh, I'm just not worth it. Like, God, why would God want to do anything with me? And I'm going to tell you, you're exactly... Ooh, that ain't good. You are exactly who God wants to use. If you had it all figured out, He can't use you. If you're smart... Super, super smart and you can figure it out on your own. God can't use you. He wants those people who are dependent on him. He wants those people who will say, I can't do this on my own. That's the people he wants. And, and I'm going to close this out. I'm not going to even finish. You can finish all this because this goes on for a long time because it is an amazing, uh, story. It's, uh, like I said, it's the longest interaction we know of with Jesus Christ in scripture. And, uh, if there was a story written about you, it'd be the longest, right? It'd be huge. But we have to remember that uh, 
Jesus loves us. It doesn't matter what we've been through, no matter who we are, Jesus loves us. And you may think like, yeah, but why am I still in my circumstances? Probably because He's waiting to use you in your circumstances. Right? He's probably waiting to be able to use you right where you're at because He says, if you're faithful with a little, I can trust you with much. And if we're not faithful where we're at, how can He trust us to come out of it? Right? Now there's sometimes we see people like they're going through something rough and God delivers them out of it. It happens. But sometimes He needs you right where you're at because nobody else is there. Right? Here's a Samaritan woman. God said, hey, I need you right where you're at. She goes back and she leads people to Christ. You can come on up. and uh, Or you look at Legion. Legion says, Jesus, I want to go with you. And he says, no, you stay right where you're at. Right? His would have been rougher because he was in a place to where outcasts went, the people who were unbelievers, those who were troublemakers. That's where they went. So his was even tougher. But God has you where he has you because he wants you there. He needs you there. And one day you may get out of that area, but for now, be the greatest minister you can be. John the Baptist got put in jail, and Jesus says, hey, don't, don't fall away because of where you're at. Keep doing what I called you to do. Right? He was called to be the way maker. He was called to be the one who was a forerunner for Jesus. And he goes to jail, and he gets distracted. He's like, what am I supposed to do? And Jesus says, keep doing what you're called to do. Right? You may be in the roughest spot of your life, and Jesus is like, hey, right there, minister to the people around you. Show them who I am. Give them a reason for hope. Right? Life ain't easy. And if you look around, it's getting harder. It's not getting harder because Jesus has given up on us. It's not getting harder because of God forgot what's going on. God knew where we'd be at right here in this moment. He said, this is the time period I have for you. For a moment like this, you were created. For a moment like this, I put you where you're at. And we can be something way more than we are with Jesus Christ doing it through us, right? Doesn't mean your circumstances are necessarily going to change. It means He'll get you through those circumstances, right? And how do we get to the place? First off, you have to start praying. You have to seek the Lord. Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. If you knock, I'll open the door. And if you ask, I'll provide, right? Doesn't mean... If you ask selfishly, he's saying whenever you're seeking me and you're you're knocking and you ask for me and you ask me to do this, I'll do it. Whatever's according to his will, he wants to do it. But he needs you to turn to him. He can't do anything for you if you don't bring it to him to begin with, because he's not going to be forceful. He's not a person who forces himself on anybody. Right? So it starts with prayer. And as Jason shared this morning in Henderson, it, it starts with the word. If we don't know the promises of God, how are we going to know what He promised us? How are we going to know who He is? How are we going to know how good He is if we don't even know who the true God is? Right? The reason why so many people are struggling in society right now of, of following God is because the God they know doesn't line up with the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture is amazing. The God of Scripture does so much for us. It's not a rule book. It's a guide. It shows us how we should live. And if we don't read the guide, how do we know how to live? right so we need to pray we need to be in the word we need to be together you know what we need purpose god given each of us a purpose for where we're at and if we're not living and walking in that purpose we're going to be hopeless also I, i i learned a few months back that psychologists secular psychologists have learned that whenever people come to them and they have no hope and they just feel like they're stuck within themselves and they don't know what to do, they have learned that they tell them, go out and serve people. Go find somewhere where you can serve people. Mow somebody's yard. Pick up trash. Do something, and it'll bring joy into your life. Secular psychologists are learning this finally. And Jesus said it the whole time. Serve one another, and you'll have joy. Jesus said it for years. And we're just now getting to the point where society understands that when we can serve other people, our circumstances get a little less. We're not as focused on ourselves. And the last thing I'm going to share with this is love. We've talked about agape love. We've talked about agape love. 
and how that's a love straight from God. But I'm going to tell you that we live in a society that tells you if you don't love yourself, you can't love others. And I heard a guy, a pastor not long ago, say these very words. If you're worried about loving yourself before you love others, you love yourself plenty. Right? If your first thought is, is what about me? You've already loving yourself. You're already concerned about yourself. So let's go out and love others. Serve others and let God take care of us. Because he said he'd provide our needs. He just told us to go out and feed a sheep, go out and love his people. We don't have to worry about ourselves. God will do that part. Get outside of yourself, start loving others, and you'll start seeing a change. And you're like, well, I get kind of tired. It's because you're not out loving other people. It's because you're not out doing something. We know from years of studies that a person who is physically active, they become energetic. People who are not physically active are not energetic. Bob knows that. I mean, the more physical work you do, the more energy you have, right? Well, the more you serve others, the more energy energy you're going to get in life. The more you're going to want to do things, the less you're going to sit at home. And the more you're going to want to help others. But it starts by doing something, right? That lady did it. I can't imagine how like drained that woman's life was. I've never had to live like she did. But I can only imagine it was probably one of the worst lives ever. And the moment she met Jesus Christ, she went and told everybody. And imagine the joy that welled up in her. And scripture tells us, don't forget our first love. I think when we all got saved, we couldn't wait to tell people, hey, guess what happened, right? And then we get kind of melancholy and we're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Go back to doing it. Go back to serving people. Go back to loving people. But whatever you're going through, remember Jesus. Jesus never took her out of her situation. He just gave her hope. He never said, hey, you know what? Let me get you a mansion. Let me get you into the Jewish temple. He said, no, worship me. I'm the Messiah. And that's all we have to do. So I'm going to pray. I know it's a different word. I didn't uh, expect to preach it. But uh, if you need prayer, if you're uh, struggling with hope, if your circumstances are overwhelming you, uh, or you just don't know how to get out of this rut, whatever it is, we'll be here to pray for you. Uh, We love you. I love all of you guys. You guys are awesome. I look around this room and I see people who go through a lot of stuff and you're still here. That's tough. That's, uh, let me tell you, God will bless that. So sometimes it's not easy to get out of, out of the house. It's not easy to get out of where you're at and and say, Jesus, I'll come. But when you do, he can bless that. So, I want to thank you guys for doing that. And I know God is proud of that. So I want to pray for us and then we're going to worship. So, Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that even in our worst situations, Lord, even where, where we're hurting the most, Lord, and sometimes we feel like we have nothing to give or that, that we're worthless, Lord, at times, that you said you would give us living water. You would give us hope that we should worship you in truth, Lord, that we should worship you in spirit, God, that we can we can hold on to your word, Lord. We can hold on to the truths of what you spoke, Lord. God, I pray you would just let everybody in here know how much you love them, Lord, how valuable they are to you, Lord. And no matter what their circumstances are, you're still their Lord. You're still their Savior. You're still their God. And you don't see them the way the world sees them. You don't even see them the way they see them. Let us start seeing ourselves the way you see us, Lord. That woman at the well, Jesus, you've seen her in such a way that nobody else had seen her. And you loved her in a way nobody else could love her, Lord. And I pray that you would pour that upon your people today, Lord. Let us walk in that, Lord. And let us share that hope that you're giving us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
to point out one thing Jesus did not do for that woman. He did not tell her to keep living the way she was living. I don't want us to think that. He taught her to worship in spirit and in truth. He said, start worshiping me. Start following me. Right? He didn't tell her to keep doing what she was doing because it wasn't working. And sometimes we can come to the altar and we can lay down our burdens and we can ask for forgiveness and we can ask for salvation and we get it and we stay there. And God didn't tell her that. He said, worship in spirit and truth and that's what we're to do. We're to begin following Jesus. We're to begin to worship Jesus. We need to go where He tells us to go. We need to do what He tells us to do and we need to change in that. And I, I just want to let you know we all have a testimony. We all came from somewhere and... Uh, you know, you see my mom and you think, man, that guy, he had it pretty good. But I'll tell you what, it was a rough upbringing. And she would tell you that. She had it rough when I was up coming up. We were poor. We didn't have a lot. You know, my mom came from an alcoholic family. My dad was an alcoholic. It was a rough time. But there came a point in life to where each of us had to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Right? I didn't even know what that meant when I said I'd follow Jesus. When I got saved, I just knew I didn't want to go to hell. And I did it three weeks in a row because I didn't want to go to hell. And I didn't realize hell just means you didn't have Jesus. Heaven's only heaven because Jesus is there and we can have Jesus. And the moment you find Jesus, things do start changing. When you start following Jesus, life changes. Doesn't mean your circumstances change. It means your life changes. Okay, I want you to know that. There's still going to be struggles. still going to be hard. You know, I come in contact with people all the time whenever I talk to them about Jesus. They're like, I just don't know. And all I can do is give them the hope of who Jesus is. And that's all you can do. Right? But I want you to know I love you. I'm here for you if you ever need to talk. I don't have the answers. My main answer is always going to be Jesus. That's all I know. And uh, I'm not real wise. I'm not a great counselor but I'll point you to Jesus and I'll love you and I'll walk with you. Okay? And I just want to let you guys know that. I'm going to close with some prayer and you're free to go or you can stay and pray. But uh, we love you. So, Father God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. I pray that you would just be with each of us as we go through our week, Lord. I thank you that you're so good to us to bring us together, Lord, to feed us, to speak to us, Lord. And I pray that you would give us that desire that during the week that we would we would eat more and more of your word, Lord. And Father God, I pray that living water would just well up in us, God, and that we would worship you every day in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray that our lives would be so devoted to you and following you, Lord, that you would be able to change each of us, Lord. God, we can't change on our own. We can't be transformed on our own. But with a relationship with you and pursuing you, Lord, you will change each of us. You will bring those fruits of the Spirit into our heart because we've pursued you, Lord. And Father God, I, it, it's not going to be easy, but I pray you would just help us in this, Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.